Roger. Yeah, I think you're pulling the wrong one. I'm just... Okay, I'm ready to pull it down now. There was still a little bit uh, left in the... Okay, don't hold it quite so tight. Okay. Yeah, what? Welcome to the podcast. This is how it's going to start. Destination, wishes, casserole, kids, China, houseboat, muslin, burlap, calculator, stroker ace, and... We're just getting started here. This is the beginning of Live to Tape podcast with Jimmy Jackson, Jason Peppercorn, John, Denver. Cams on. those cams on. I'm good. I'm How good. does it feel to be here? Uh, dry. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice and dry. We're inside. Welcome to the beginning of the podcast. This is Live to Tape with Johnny Pemberton. Today, my guest, this is a cool thing. This is our. First, this is the first time we've ever met right now. Indeed. This is it. This is the, this is the uh, we never met before. And I was uh, passed your information from a friend on, uh, on Twitter, Jacques Rifkind. Is that how you say it correctly? That is correct, yeah. God, I got it right. Some, I typically get people's names wrong initially. For some reason, you did, always. You did well. I could have said Riff Kind, but you probably get That works. That Riff works. Kind but is, Jackus is the thing that, that gets me. Jackus. I get a lot of Jackus. Jackus. That's, yeah. that's, but that's like telemarketers, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, <laughs> I, I put out a call for an entomologist, which if uh, people don't know what an entomologist is, then, well, you should probably listen to a different podcast, I guess. But an entomologist is someone who uh, studies bugs. Or insects, right? Yeah, yeah. So you have a, a previous interest? In, uh... I guess so. You know, I, I was sitting around uh, one day 
just last week or something, and I was thinking about how um, I just but I just like bugs. I like I like always like not killing spiders, and I just think that um, anytime you see an insect, it's always such a such like a cool like pleasant surprise. Sometimes if you see an insect out of context, you're like, oh wow, look at that, look at that thing, look what it's doing. It's kind of just this little independent computer that's that's out in the world, and uh, when you get to see it. If it's not a frightening thing, which usually I think less and less for me, insects are frightening. It's more like a thing where they're just um, it's such a such a novelty if you look at it the right way. I think the more you know about them, the less you're afraid. You yeah. Sort of narrow down to a few a few nasties, wasps, black widows, right, and everything else is pretty much uh, you know innocuous. So how did you get into? Because uh, I I did a little research on you, and I see like like papers naming uh, certain types of uh, beetles from. A long time ago. Like, you've been in it for a while. I'm old. This is what happens. <laughs> That's a, not what a, I was trying it's to a say. Cumulative, but, yeah. a, it's a cumulative effect of the years, yeah. yes. Time uh, has a weird, has a strange effect of actually mo- of moving nonstop. It, it does. Um, well, I was, a, I was a suburban kid growing up in L.A., and uh, but like probably at the age of five, somebody gave me the golden guide to reptiles and amphibians. That's and like those like, real basic... Uh, the kids' books, right? Yeah, the yeah. Although series. they were written by like really, really like real scientists. That's okay. what was cool. They weren't. They weren't really. They were. They were. You know, for kids, but they weren't dumbed down. Yeah. And they had great illustrations. So I like immediately like my whole world was snakes and lizards. That's all I wanted. This I, is in suburban LA. Yeah, I grew up in uh, the Baldwin Hills area. Okay. Uh, and yeah. then moved to the really good part of Encino. Okay. Um, and uh, um, so I, I kept snakes and lizards and all of that, and I, I had sort of my heart set on. Becoming a herpetologist, studying uh, reptiles and amphibians. What's up, herpers? Yeah, you. People. I just I love that uh, the shortened version of that. Uh, to me, it's her- like, herpes. Yeah, herpes. Or, or chir- chirpies. I've never heard chirpies. That's yeah, it's one. a canarial disease. Okay. It's untweetable. <laughs> I wish I'd okay. made up. I wish I'd made up that. That joke, sounds like a classic. Let's, that kills at the Herper Convention. It, it, exactly mm-hmm. at the Herper Convention. So um, yeah, you were collecting a lot of snakes and. So yeah, I was keeping, and then you know, as, as I got older, I I wanted to I'm like I'm going to do that. I want to be a herpetologist, mm-hmm. and I went to UCLA my first year, and I got a D in uh, in chemistry, dropped math, and got an A in philosophy. So not going to be a scientist. Got um, it. And, I, you know, I was competing with all the people that were pre-med and they were, you know, they had their calculators strapped to their right. uh, to their sides. And in those days, the calculator was five pounds. So um, <laughs> it was a commitment. Um, and then uh, I pretty much just, you know, maintained a kind of amateur's interest. And then after I graduated from college, I think I saw a thing. It was called the Lorquin Society. And they still exist. They've been in L.A. for the years Lorquin? and years. Lor- it was named after a butterfly guy. Oh, how do you yeah. spell that? L-O-R-Q-U-I-N. Okay. And uh, I think he, Lorquin would be the French. Lorquin. Yeah, but I think he was, oui. a, he was a California butterfly guy. But okay. anyways, I went to a meeting, um, like at the, L- at the LA uh, Natural History Museum. And I kind of started talking to some guys that were, you know, local, and they went collecting. And I said, well, that sounds cool. I don't know anything really about bugs. Uh, they were kind of intimidating because there's so many kinds. It's oh, like, oh, yeah. I, you know, I, that's, I didn't even know where to go. Um, anyways, I started going out collecting with these guys, and I pretty quickly found out that I was not going to be a butterfly and moth guy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's interesting that there's like, there's, I mean, I would love to see that sort of the breakdown. You know how they, I saw someone on, uh, made a video breaking down all the characters from Mario Kart, like what their political affiliations would be. 
And I'd be interested to see sort of like a similar thing with all the different subcategories of of insect um, like foamers. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's just like any nerd culture. It yeah. breaks down into, I mean, any culture that's, you know, got a technical part always breaks down to, you know, people liking this and there's camps and, that are yeah, sort of competing like, trolling oh, you're dissing. Into moths. oh <laughs> they're dude. dissing oh no oh, my seriously God, i would die for that oh no i mean that's the show i want to watch fucking, we're talking blood here you mm-hmm. know oh it's horrible horrible wow. things yeah yeah um so anyways i i started realizing that i, I liked beetles like uh-huh. beetles were cool and i yeah. they're hard bodied they're not covered with little scales and like moths um, so I, uh, started collecting and the guys that I knew were, were collected, what are called longhorn beetles or okay. cerambicids. And they're very, very popular with collectors because there's 26,000 of them currently described and probably up to 28,000. And there's probably another 20,000 that are undescribed. That is just one, uh, one family, genus? one family. family. That's, that's yeah. Just, wait, cause it's, uh, it's kingdom, phylum, um, class. Right. Order. Right. Phylum? Family. Family. You can, and then you can break it down. Okay. Subfamily, gen, it. genus, species, sub, you know, it, it all. Yeah. And there's millions of these little categories that, that people work out in systematics. But um, the, um, I forgot where, where, where I was at. You're talking about the beetle taxonomy. Okay, you so got the, the longhorn beetles. Yeah, the longhorn beetles. So, and they're beautiful and they're cool and there's millions of them. And they're kind of, you can collect them on dead wood or on flowers or you can you can go cut wood that's infested with them and you put it in a cage and in the winter they come out and they're, and they're neat. Um, but the longhorn beetle guys were just dicks. They were just <laughs> like, they treated me like shit, you know. It was like, uh, uh, you know, if you didn't, they were amateurs, but but because I didn't have a credential and I hadn't published any papers, I was just dirt, you well, know. So what, you, when I talked to you initially, you said you were an amateur. What makes someone an amateur and not not, I don't get paid for it. Okay, so yeah. that's all it is. That's all the it classic is. definition, even though you have published stuff. Yeah, well, the thing that you have to understand with insects is that what we know about insects is probably what we knew about birds in about 1650. There's just... Are you serious? Absolutely. There's And so and there's oh so many God. different groups that's that... So fuck, I can't Johnny that. Pemberton, yeah. like if you decided tomorrow morning you were going to... I'm really interested in these parasitic wasps. Yeah. And you study them in five years, you could be the, the world expert because nobody's like looked at that group for... Because there's just not enough people and there's no money. Wow. That's really... That's something about that is like... Uh, the whole idea of, um, well, you can buy a part of the moon for someone's birthday, yeah. but, like, that's all you're doing is just, it's on paper, but you're talking about something that's tangible yeah. that you can see in the world and you could name it. Because I was um, working on something. I was looking up, uh, we were, uh, I was hiking Yosemite, and we were looking for edible mushrooms from the Bolete family. And there was one I was looking up. It's called the Boletus pseudosensibilis. I'm like, that's the fucking craziest, <laughs> dumbest name for a mushroom. That's not. It's not a psychedelic mushroom. It's not an exceptionally delicious mushroom. It's like, why would you name it pseudosensibilis? Like, like that. That's just so odd. It's clearly a newer discovery that someone decided to name. It was probably like, oh, this was the sixth mushroom they've they've described. So it's kind of like there. It wasn't their top. Name was not their mother, like their their dog, right, or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. You go. You go through the the wife, girlfriend, mm-hmm. mom, dad, and then I 
I've named uh, Beatles after porn stars and strippers. <laughs> so uh, wait, so what was the first Beatle you described? That's what you say, right? Described? Yeah, described exactly. I named. Uh, I, well, anyways, to, to make a long story okay, short, right. I uh, ended up finding. Uh, I was I decided I was going to work on a different group of Beatles called Checkered Beatles, and then I wrote to this professor emeritus at the University of Idaho, and he was like in his late seventies at that point, and he was super cool. He responded to me. You know, this was back in the days when you wrote letters, right? And uh, uh, you know, he he offered to help me identify things. And I had no idea I was going to describe things. I just wanted to collect and know what they were. Yeah. And so he pointed me to the literature and I went to UCLA and went up and down the stacks and for five days and Xeroxed all this stuff from, you know, 1850 to 1940. Wow. Um, and, and, and I started getting into it. And at that point, um, uh, you know, I just decided, like, you just kind of incrementally get to the point where I think I can, I want to describe something, yeah. you know. And then I ended up going to Oaxaca, Mexico okay. in, uh, in the late 80s, uh, which was an interesting trip, um, and uh, collected um, some things that had not been described before. Did you go there for that purpose? I did. I went on a bug collecting trip with uh, Elvira Barche and a guy named Art Evans. Um, supposed to go with Elvira's husband, Joseph Byrell. But he had, a, had some work thing, so I went okay. with her. And and you can imagine her. She was from I think Schwabia in Germany, and she <laughs> was about five foot six, but she wore these big white high heels. Uh, and she had like it was like the eighties, so she had her hair tied up, blonde hair, like tied up in a ribbon, and she had these big broad shouldered uh-huh. like white linen. And she wore this like in the we were in the market in Oaxaca where most people are like four foot. Yeah. And they're looking at this woman like she is a freak. I mean, I literally was walking behind her like, I, I don't know this woman, like that type yeah. of thing. Uh, so that was an, it was a very interesting trip. She was a good bug collector, um, but uh, uh, very enthusiastic. But anyway, so w- we went to Oaxaca. I spoke a little bit of Spanish. It was a really interesting trip. It's uh-huh. a beautiful. I love the state. I love the food. The people are great. Yeah, that's supposed to be the uh, the. One of the best places to visit in all of Mexico. It's, it's I go back all the time. It's it's a it's really amazing. Um, and and so I collected several things that uh, probably had were in collections at some point, but they were not hadn't been described. So I picked one and I named it after my mentor. So that what, was what's the name of it? Uh, Simatadra Bar. I his name was Bill Bar. Yeah. Oh, wow. Simatardery. Simatardera means wavy neck in wavy Greek. Wavy neck. Yeah. What's bara? That's the— uh, you, When you name something, when you give a, a patronymic after somebody, if it's a male, it ends with I. Okay. So it would be Pemberton I. And wow. if it was a female, it's A-E. Like, uh, oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. All yeah. this time, I, didn't, I had no idea. Yeah. So, um, That's like— uh, um, uh, given and then also if you name it after uh, like for example you and your wife or girlfriend or right. family it's Orem so those there's there's the so uh, is this all like Carl Linnaeus stuff or is this after him he's the guy who started it yeah, yeah. binomial taxonomic that uh, stuff is so interesting I, what I understand about it is how you're saying there's like twenty five or more twenty five thousand just or, in that one family one yeah. family how do you how are you able to describe the specifics that differentiate the uh, the Beatles without thinking it could just be some sort of a, like a one-off genetic mutation that's happening inside of the line. Because I feel like with plants a lot of times, I'm really into um, botany. botany. Mm-hmm. That's something that is talked about a lot where like you have an oak tree, you have like the genus like Quercus californica, but it can look like a th- look and look so different right. but still right. be the same species of tree to some extent. Where I guess in the, just the oak family, what I've read about, they talk about how 
you can say it's this, but to some extent, it's just what it is because you can't really describe it because it would mean describing every individual tree based upon a set of uh, descriptors that are not the tree didn't come up with those. We're applying those to the sure. tree, so it's kind of it's kind of like a it's like a, I don't know how to describe it. It's like like a you're well, putting the cart before the horse in a way. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and this, if you get into the whole philosophy of, mm-hmm. of uh, biological science and taxonomy, you know, you can people will make an argument that it, it, people often discuss, dis, just uh, uh, talk about the fact that the species concepts are difficult. Like we have the Darwinian, yeah. uh, uh, the what's called the new synthetic model of of populations that that are. Uh, n- not capable of interbreeding naturally. Okay. So yeah. but it, that's almost impossible to test. So you really are right. going based on, you know, are these things different enough that we would say they have a different evolutionary path? And what you're talking about with oak trees is really interesting, but that's a lot of that has to do with um, uh, the fact that you can have, I guess it's called uh, polyploidy, where you like hybridization yeah. in plants. So there's right, like, exactly. and then like those oaks where you get like, you know, they've been described four different times because mm-hmm. the leaf shape is different. But when when they they get down into things like the floral the flower shape, mm-hmm. they can actually nail things a little bit better. Okay. Uh, and then you look at ecology too. You'll say, okay, well this species of oak is you know only in these ravines where there's more moisture. So that's you you know that they're sort of separating out yeah. by how they make a living. And we do the same. Th- I mean, there there is the idea that if you walk in a patch of forest and you collect a bunch of bugs or snakes or lizards, you pretty much can say. Okay, that's a species, that's a species, that's a species. The problem you get in is when you drive down the road 50 miles and you have another patch of forest, is, is, are these two things the same thing? And as a taxonomist, you're always making that judgment call based on, you know, my best guess. Okay. Um, fortunately, in some things, we pull the peckers and they're really different. So um, some what of the— that, What does that mean? <laughs> well, you the basically— Yeah, exactly, of the, of exactly, the beetle. And, what you know, you, we assume that it's an interlocking mechanism yeah. with the female. The females tend to be not very differentiated. The males oftentimes have, like, these weird spines coming wow. out and all these structures. So if you get that, even if they look exactly the same and, you know, you get a bunch of males from one place mm-hmm. and they've all got the hook going this way and the other one's got the hook going down that way, they're probably different species. Wow. So— so that's how you can describe them because you look at these things really close. Like you look at something that's very small. Yeah, you're and scoping them. And then now there's people that they find them and grind them. They they do DNA analysis. And I love all these terms, find them and grind them, pull the peckers. It's just so – it sounds like you're like a fucking trucker. So I'm like, yeah, we're talking about identifying beetles. It just I, – I, uh, it's almost like a thing where um, I can't believe it's just – like you – if someone made that up, I wouldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds. It just sounds so it's so just, ridiculous and funny. Yeah, I, I again, I think it's just like you know, find any kind of nerd, nerd culture has got all those kind of things. So when you so. find them and grind them, you like make like a you don't you're trying to find out the DNA of the exactly. Thing. You're doing so like the, a it's a different way of describing it. Well, and then, you know, there's a bunch of people that want to say that well, we can we can tell what a species is by looking at the differences in the DNA, but yeah. you can't. It's one data point. It doesn't tell you. Uh, if two things are living in a different way, so okay, because the, what's it called? A phenotype. Uh huh. A phenotype is a physical expression of a genome. Correct. God, I can't believe I fucking got that. That's really good. I haven't thought about that in maybe twenty five years, but I fucking that stuff is very interesting because it's uh. So you're saying that basically, like the the genome, they can look at it, and just because it's a certain way doesn't mean it's necessarily expressed in exactly. the exactly. Or that it may be expressed, but we don't—it's sort of hard to know 
how you know sets of genes determine behavior. Well, I'll give you an example. You could have two bugs that look exactly the same, right. uh, and they live in on the same plant. But this one emerges in May, and it you know basically the adult insect is just the, the insect lives its life as a larva emerges, fucks, dies, and that's it. I mean, so uh-huh. what we see is the imago is really just the sexual... What's the imago? Uh, the adult form. Oh, okay. So most of the time they're living like little grubby things. Yeah, or like a in, pupa. In, yeah, exactly. So um, so what happens is that is that imagine that you have two things that look exactly the same. One comes out in May. Males and females come out. They, they do the wild thing, right. and then they die. The other ones come out in September. Now, they may look exactly the same, they may have real their DNA from what we see may be the same, but they're never meeting. The ones that are that are coming out in 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 May are not ever going to have sex with the ones that are coming out in September. So they're effectively different species. Wow! And you can't tell that from DNA. So how, why can't they tell that from DNA? Because we don't have a model of we just we look at certain uh, uh, proteins, mitochondria. We we don't we don't even know like how behavior is coded in a lot of things. So we just can't we don't uh, it's like we say we like science doesn't know how to describe that stuff yet. We're just not there. Uh, yeah, I don't know that we'll ever be there. Really? I mean, yeah, it's it's you know it's so complicated the interactions and I mean where where's the gene for you know, that thing that makes that thing respond to certain humidity and, and then know it's time to come out in May. I don't know. How would you even look for that? Yeah, it's so, uh, what's the word? There's some great word for it. I can't think of what it is. But it's so specific that it's like it's like a ghost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like conscious. You know, you, I'm sure you know about right. all the stuff about consciousness that AI doesn't describe the way that consciousness is. They, the, the, the AI guys have given up on that. Really? No. Yeah, I, because, I don't know a whole lot about that, actually. Um, I, feel like... I don't know that much, but I do know that the current thinking is is that, um, you know, we don't really know much more about consciousness than we ever did at this point. <laughs> <laughs> is... That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how many things are like that in science where it just, how the human brain is still a pretty fucking big mystery in terms mm-hmm. of, like, so many aspects of it that it's like it's like we're still stabbing in the dark kind of in terms of, like, it's a lot of guesswork. Absolutely. Like, well, this yeah. seems to work, but it's it's funny to think like what maybe a hundred years from now or whatever, just how our what things will seem incredibly archaic and even barbaric maybe, and what things would be like, yeah, that still works. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. uh, those things are really hard to predict. I, Can I you talk a bit about the um, the uh, you said you work uh, with uh, the family? Of, is it the family of Clarid? Yeah, Clariday. Yeah. What makes Clariday Clariday? Uh, well, there's like certain characteristics in terms yeah. of they have like these, they're hairy and they have a certain formula of their, of their, of their feet. And, uh, there's other structural things that make that we know that are, we, we've defined as being clarids. Um, but generally speaking, like what they do in the world is they're, they're uh, predators for the most okay. part. So they're not, um, what do you call it, decomposers or? Uh... Yeah, they're not like, uh, uh detritivores okay. or, uh, they don't eat. You know, necrophores, necrophores eat dead animals. Okay. Yeah, and they're not, and they're most insects eat plants, and they they eat the the bugs that eat plants. Those are their predators. Okay. Yeah, uh, and then some of them they'll feed on pollen as adults, and but and generally speaking, as larvae and adults, they're predators, and they they're what's cool about them. What I like about them is that um, it's really hard to know unless you're trained to know if it's a claret because they look like 
they're the mim- like mimic mimics par excellence of wow. Beatles. What is what is a Claret uh, that you would say is like the most known to most people? Uh, a thing called Trichodes, which is um, lives in. Uh, uh, well, what they do is they're they're really common in the Chaparral. It's a species that's uh, or a, gen- a genus that's in. Uh, uh, the northern hemisphere, so okay. they go from like Russia, Siberia, all the way to, to Canada and the U.S. Wow. But they they uh, are inquilines. So what happens is they they lay in- their eggs inquiline? and yeah, they're inquilines and they lay their eggs and their larvae hatch and mm-hmm. bees will land on the flower and they'll attach themselves to the bee leg and then they fly Jesus. back to the nest and the larvae develops and it feeds on the the bee pupae. So is so, that like a like a symbiotic relationship? Well, it's it's symbiotic, more? but it's but it's it's predacious. Like they're not benefiting oh, the bees; okay. they're eating the they're actually eating the bee larvae. Wow. So, so the bees don't get anything from that. They get nothing from that. Yeah. So they just are able to deal with it, but through like numbers or something. Yeah, like that? I mean, the amount that they take is yeah. probably doesn't cause enough damage, but yeah, they're definitely that's that's what they're doing. So those are probably the oh, and there's another one called um, they're, they're, that are. Uh, that are kind of uh, decomposers. They feed on like usually like flies that are on dead bodies uh-huh. and uh, the ham beetles, necrobia. Ham beetle. Because I know that uh, my wife, her uh, aunt used to work at the Natural History Museum years mm. ago. And when she was a kid, they she got to see they have some sort of a room or like a special room that they put in. Uh, they put in bones that are uh-huh. that didn't, they have with the beetles and the beetles. Uh, clean the uh, yeah dermestids. Oh yeah. my god! And that shit just—that's something about that is. Anytime there's you there's you're putting uh, insects to work mm-hmm. in like a like a formal environment. Something about that. It's so like when they use maggots to clean um, wounds or anything like that is just so fascinating to me. Do you know about? Can you talk about those beetles at all, the ones that do that? Uh, Dermesses, yeah, they're, like, probably right here. They're the things that really? people think that, like, clothes moths are attacking my— you're, They're not. Oh, it's it's, not. it's, it's Dermesses, yeah. Their oh. larvae just will rip. And they'll rip the shit through uh, <laughs> of uh, insect collection. That's why they have, like, oh all this in, either sealed up or have to freeze them because yeah. they'll turn an insect collection to powder. Wow. Yeah. Those are the domestids. That's they're a whole called, family? Or yeah, domestidae, yeah. So they're not very interesting looking. They're uh, very small. To guys that study them, they love them. Yeah. Got it. I yeah. guess because in terms of beetles, the only thing I can, that sticks out to me that I think most people know is a June bug. Sure. Which is uh, a June bug. And um, what I'm really into lately is the California scarab. Uh-uh. Which one? I think, well, there's one that has that greenish iridescent Cut- back. The flies in like summer. Yeah. Yeah. The buzzes big, around buzzes cars. Around. And, yeah. They're real big. Yeah. And I think they have a, a larva that lives in the, uh, the dirt because I've yeah. had them in my garden. Yeah. And a lot of times raccoons will rip up your garden to get to them. To get to them, and it's like a thing where it sucks because I like the beetles a lot. I love seeing them fly around. Yeah, they're fruit chafers, or I think it's Cotinus is the genus. Okay, because yeah. I've seen them all over like a like a, a peach tree one time. I was like, holy yeah. shit, they're they're fucking everywhere. Yeah, and they they scare the shit out of people. Too. Yeah, they scare <laughs> like, the shit out of people because yeah. they make that with that. They're yeah. so loud. And they're so big. It's so. I mean, those are what. What family of beetle is that? Scarabs. Scarabs. Scarabidae. Yeah. So what? What set? What makes scarabs uh, specific? Um. Jeez. I guess it's the the kind of larvae. It's a grub shaped larva. I'm yeah. not really sure what the like the defining, um, uh, you know, taxonomic uh, uh, characteristics of the family are. Right. But generally speaking, like their lifestyles are. They're they're the dung rollers, the ones that eat shit. Yeah. And uh, uh, well, they don't. They they actually 
It's their larvae that do. But, you know, I have a good story about that. You want to hear my I good story? I would love story? to hear a good okay, story about so, that. Okay, so um, I have <laughs> Any, a— Anytime you have a good story about something, uh, I'm, I'm down. This is like the—I love this. <laughs> this is like the dirty jobs like of all time. Uh, okay. So I, I went to Mexico on a bug trip with a friend of mine, and he's, he collects uh, scarabs, particularly dung scarabs. Okay. And the thing is, is like you—you uh, you know, you want to have a source of dung that's not going to get you sick, right? Okay. And also that's available. So, so what do you do animal. if you're going to collect in Mexico? You bring your own shit. Oh my fucking! So God. what he what he does is he like he he accumulates it and freezes it. Oh, customs and then, loves. This. Oh, so we get to we get to customs, <laughs> right? And this guy, I'm I'm shaking oh my, my head, and I'm explaining to him in Spanish that he does not want to open this thing. And then I tell him what's in it, and at some point. It was like 10 minutes, but at some point he just went pass, like just go. The, the customs guy. Yeah. He just like, didn't want to deal care. with it. Like, um, Jesus. So we go, so we get, we get into Mexico. And then the other thing that these beetles like is rotted meat. Okay. So the first thing we do is we go to the uh, grocery store and we get the like disc, the discarded chicken. Like give us the, you know, necks and all that yeah. stuff. And we put it in a vat in the back of the, in the trunk of the car. And it's about a hundred degrees out. So after about a nice 24 hours, that's. That little menudo is, is really nasty. And so what he would do, and I would try to be upwind, is that he'd take a little plastic cup, sink it into the ground with a stick over it, daub his shit on that. His and, shit. Yeah. Yeah, the shit that he brought in uh -huh. the bucket. Because you don't want to, like, touch dog shit and right. stuff. And then he would take some of that rotted chicken and he'd put it, like, on another one of those things. And then you mark it and then you go off – 100 miles down the road and you're collecting and then you come back the day later and you you collect the dung scarabs that have flown in. So just setting a bunch of traps basically. Yeah, setting a bunch of traps. And actually if you poop in the tropical forest they'll will they'll they'll be moving towards you like wow. before you're done. Because they're just so hungry. Yeah, and it's you know that's their that's their no what they do is they actually okay, right. roll it uh in they they put their their uh they they put a larvae inside of it. Okay, so, so it's food for their, for their child. Larvae. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that, that thing eats it up, and it's like, that makes sense. It seems like there'd be, it's got to be a pretty popular, uh, yep. a successful type of beetles. It seems like a pretty good plan. Yeah, yeah, they're really successful. I mean, they've used them, they use them in, uh, uh, for control of dung, but there's been a lot of the African species that are in Texas and stuff. Really? And it's, yeah, there's always a two-edged sword with that. What's the other side of it? Is because you're introducing uh, the species? Yeah, you can out-compete the native things. Yeah. You know, so. Has happened a bunch of times, hasn't it? It didn't yeah. happen in Australia, right, with cats, mm -hmm. I think. They brought them over to, to kill the mice. And cats and foxes, too. They've destroyed everything. Yeah, I think, like, there's 20 species of Australian mammal that are gone extinct because of God. feral cats. Isn't there also something with snakes some, on some island, right? There's yeah, uh, Okinawa. There was yeah. a brown, uh, I think it's a back fang, very aggressive back fang, brown, uh, oh, I forgot the genus. But. Yeah, it's something kind of boring, but it's the snake, it's so successful for some reason, yeah. right? Yeah, then didn't have any competitor. God. That's scary stuff. Yeah. Think about that. Any type of, any type of uh, moving animals to different places. Yeah, it's uh, it's spooky because it's <laughs> when something doesn't have any competition, it can just do. Yeah, I mean Australia, they they actually have bounties on cats. There, there's guys that they go on farms and they and oh, at man. night and they shoot foxes and and cats. That's what they do. They have to. When I was in New Zealand, we were leaving. I bought this hat in the airport that's made of mostly of some type of marsupial. It's like the cutest thing you've ever seen in your life, but it's it's like this um, marsupial that causes rampant deforestation. 
Hmm. I don't know what they do. They do something in the forest, so they make and sell fur products with them. It's so funny because it's like it's it's so soft and so warm, <laughs> and it's so cute. It's like this weird thing where, you know, you feel good about um, helping the forest, but it's also just that weird cognitive dissonance that happens. Yeah, I mean, you just have to figure out what is your what's a priority. I mean, like you know, Morrissey had a has like railed against the cat control program in Australia. Right. And it's like, well, do you want do you want to have you know monoculture just cats, or do you have this biological yeah. experiment with all of these species that are going to be gone? Like I. It you know it, unfortunately there's no it's it's not easy like who wants to kill cats I like I like cats but, yeah you know if it's it's like are you what do you care about more individual animals or you care about you know like species and things going forward you people know? just don't understand that there's like tough decisions that have to be made that someone has to do it and it's like you feel you should be grateful that you don't have to be the one who's killing the fucking cats. Yeah, unless you like to shoot. Yeah, which you like to shoot. I do. I'm not a hunter, but I do like right. to shoot. We should talk about that. Sure. Because you have a 5.11 tactical hat on. I do. Which I fucking, that's a great brand. I have their backpacks. the greatest backpack I've ever owned in my entire life. It's good shit. <laughs> yeah, are they paying you or us? No, I, no not at all. <laughs> that's no. too bad. I know. Yeah. Maybe if I say it enough, they mm. will, but I don't think they need any help, especially not from my, me or my listeners. Do you shoot? Uh, I I did learn to shoot, but I don't like do it actively or anything. I don't own any guns, but I have. I did take like a long. I took, took a weekend course in the desert. This now defunct gun. Uh, what do you call it? Like a training company. Cool. And I I shot uh, probably like a man. Probably was like it like a, long distance rifle? No, it was or? just a nine millimeter handgun. Uh huh. But it was two full days, two of the fucking longest goddamn days in the middle of the desert out by Pahrumpf. <laughs> yeah, good old, uh, good old Pahrumpf. Yeah, I was shooting. I probably shot a couple hundred rounds at least. So I got to be pretty good. But I, I haven't fired a handgun since I was in Texas. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing because there's this um, very interesting gun culture that has nothing to do with the way that, you know, let's say the general bubble left in LA would describe it. Yeah. And, uh, that's, it's, it's exactly a mirror of LA. You go to, you go to an indoor range and you'll see, you know, an Orthodox family, a black couple, Latinos, Armenians. It's like mm-hmm. every drive down the street of LA, every restaurant that you see is represented at the gun range. You know, it's not like this, you know, Confederate flag, oh, yeah. white. Tons, you know, totally. I belong to a to a, a gun club that's got, you know, Asians and Jews and, and it's just people that like to shoot. And I think that unfortunately, um, you know, that's an unfortunate characterization that like somehow yeah. Gun culture is like racist or you know misogynistic. It's like BS. It's I mean it happens with all kinds of things, and I feel like that one is just the. It's just such a hot button thing that it's easy for it to be that way. Even though that every kind of person does that, there's no like, there's no commonality except for that. It's just it's really fun. Yeah. Like, no. Absolutely. The first time I went to an outdoor range, I was like, this is like I I'm having so time goes so fast. It's unbelievable because yeah. it's like so interesting, like just thrilling enough. And there's something about like the, you, you can never have like a perfect day. It's not sure. like bowling where you, oh, I've fucking bowled through No, under. no, absolutely. There's always a yeah. challenge to it. There's always yeah. something. And it's, it's a, you know, at some point, once you got your basic skills down, it's, it's a super mental game. I mean, it's like you, if you start doing any kind of competitive target shooting, it's all about, you know, your, 
like Zen kind of focus on the yeah. moment and the process. Because the second you start thinking, oh, I'm really close to my best score ever, or I'm gonna, you you blow it. The second your mind wanders onto, it's like golf. Yeah, exactly. So, so what for, do you what do you shoot? Uh, I shoot mostly rimfire, twenty two. I shoot a little nine millimeter handgun, but I'm more I'm a better rifle. Uh, so you have like marksman. a Henry. Uh, I have a uh, a Winchester. Okay. So is I, it a lever I, action? It, I have a Winchester lever action, and I have a Marlin lever. Ah. I like kind of classic old yeah. walnut and blued steel. That's that's funny because I was really close to buying one of those Henry. They're good lever actions. Just a, a twenty-two. Yeah, they're great. Because those those are pretty much that's what they're for. They're for just like they're for shooting. We sh- we shoot uh, what's called cowboy silhouette. Okay. So you have to use a tube-fed gun, which means mostly lever actions, and you shoot uh, metal silhouette targets right. uh, out at different ranges. And uh, with, the, with the cowboy rifles, you can't use a scope. It's open. Peep That's sights cool. are okay. So it's really challenging, and, and you have to shoot standing up. On your, oh, you do? Yeah, you can't lean against anything. The cool thing about the lever action is it makes it like every time you draw a bead, you have to reset it. Yep. So it's like you really are – it's like a real function of um, – Muscle memory, right? Yep, absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah, there's some reason there's some range up up to two. There's some I know there's some iron target range up to two. I remember researching oh, I and being so. like, oh, yeah. I want to go up there. There's a lot. What's happening right now? I don't do it, but is uh, the, the, the all the kids are doing it right now is this thing called PRS. Right. Uh, it's Precision Rifle Series, and then they do so they're going out and they're shooting anywhere from 500 to 2,000 meters. It's like long-distance shooting. And they, wow. it's, it's really involved because you have to, do, you have to use like weather uh, uh, devices that measure bar- barometric pressure, weather. It's wind reading. Uh, it's a lot about hand-loading. Super technical. Um, and, that's, and they're mostly bolt-action rifles. So it's like a 30-06 kind of thing. Yeah, they have like more calibers than you could possibly wow. imagine. I, but, have, I have no idea. All yeah. I know is that... I always wanted to get an M1 Garand, and I haven't yet. Those are great. And my dad uh, actually, my dad classified as a marksman. He was in uh, World War II. So that's how you got into it? No. My dad dad was in World War II in the Battle of the Bulge, never wanted to touch a gun again when he got out. So I just got into it because, like snakes, it was something that I thought was cool. Yeah. Yeah. You get it around the same time? Yeah, I'd say I was really interested then, but I didn't do anything about it. I didn't have any, like, relatives or, you know, friends. Yeah. I shot a few times, but picked it up late in life. I mean, so you shoot competitively, though. Yeah, it's a club at the club level, although I've, I've shot state championships as well. But What's that like, then? What is that? That seems like a... Again, another scene where it's like best in show, that movie best in show. It's, where it's total like this... nerd culture. It's, yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's totally awesome. It's guys standing around talking about, you know, uh, uh, all of the things they do when they hand load and the kind of— uh, Wait, So what does that mean? You mentioned hand load. I don't, I don't know what that Well, what means. happens, like, just to, uh, as an example, is you can buy factory ammunition. Right. And, but when you're trying to hit a target that's 1,000 meters away or— you're trying to hit a target that's 40 meters away, but you need to hit it 40 times. Mm-hmm. You don't want to. You don't want to shoot a 357 or 308 when your shoulder for 40 rounds because you're going to destroy your shoulder. So you hand load to get the the optimum load that will knock the target down but not destroy your shoulder. What, what's hand load mean? It means that you actually buy the brass and oh, you so buy you the bullet. Own... Yeah, and you're you're so you're you're basically making a, a cartridge bullet, com, you know, combination oh, okay. that that does. 
and powder combination that does exactly what you want it to do based wow. on the so and, and it's also a little bit cheaper than buying a, yeah. a factory. I don't do it. I'm I'm too lazy to do that. So it's um, a lot of machines and stuff, right? But these are you know the guys that are attracted and women that do this stuff. They're they're like engineering. T- they're the kind of people that like you know take calipers to okay. stuff. You know they they <laughs> for them like that the most relaxing thing is to like develop a, a, a you know a, a pistol load or a rifle yeah. load. So, uh, you know, but really good people, like uh, easygoing, super helpful. Like one of the things about shooting sports is that um, it's one of the few sports where you can be a total newbie and somebody will give you all the information that you need to beat them. Like there's none of this, like I've got the secret and I'm not going to share it with you. So it's, you know, that's a super cool thing. It's really rare in this day and age. That's interesting. Yeah, I've got to do it. I've been meaning to do it for so long. I just haven't. I just know. I feel like it's like a thing where. It's one of those things that's like golf in the sense where it's meditative, right? Mm-hmm. So it's something you can kind of just go do in your spare time, and it's uh, it's relaxing because you're just sort of it's like a like we're talking about before. It's a it's an impossible task, so yeah, it never gets old because you're always just. And the best thing about shooting compared to golf is that with golf you have to do twenty two things perfectly, and shooting it's only five. Okay. So, what are the five things with shooting you have to do? Well, I mean, basically, it's like it's natural point of aim, breath control, trigger control, recoil control, and um, and then sh- like sh- what they call shot process, so that you repeat the same thing every time. So, wow. But you don't have to like do your body doesn't have to contort all those horrible. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You don't have to like throw your hips out. Yeah, exactly. In the golf course. That's crazy. Yeah. Have you ever combined uh, beetles and shooting? Uh, well, I've, I've collected a beetle out on the range. I oh, yeah? Thought, yeah? Was it someone you described? Uh, no. no. Most of the things I've de- – all the things I've described – actually, until recently, I've got a couple of things I'm describing from the Channel Islands. But most of my th- things wow. I've described are Mexico and Central America. The, is the Channel Islands interesting because it is – it's sort of – it's close, but it's removed. Yeah, yeah. So – is it something where you're finding things that are really similar, but they're different in some? Yeah, I, I don't know way? that much about it. I've had to read up about it, but mm-hmm. yeah, there were there are things that are uh, either clo- very closely related or the same as things that are on the, you know in the chaparral on the coastal mainland. There's also things that are probably relictual, like they went extinct on the mainland, Wait, but they still that? survive. Relictual? Yeah, they're relics. Oh, yeah. okay. So there's a there's a plant. I think a lot of the landscape designers use it. It's a ironwood, and I think it was right. probably more broadly distributed. Like, and now it's extinct on the mainland, but it survived oh, it's on, on, it's on, on the there. Yeah. So. I wanted to go there so bad because it's like such a. It's kind of hard to get there. Yeah. You well, Catalina to... is one of them, but right. Yeah. But um, the channels, the ones in the north of there, they're. Don't you have to like, apply? Uh, to, like, yeah, some are military and some are owned by like their university housing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. University of Channel Islands, right? Uh, yeah, but I, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I think it is that. I think so, maybe like, Berkeley or Santa Barbara has a uh, property there too. And you've been there? How recently? Was I've that? never been there. You never have, but no. you're but you're planning on. I'm a landlubber. I don't. <laughs> I just I get nauseous looking at boats on this. Oh man! Yeah. So yeah. What if that's what it takes to to find a um. And describe a new beetle. Not going to happen. Really? Yeah. Never? Yeah. No. Damn. I like my favorite habitat is like a tropical oak forest. Okay. Yeah. Was that was that what, what uh, Oaxaca is like? Oaxaca's got a lot of that, yeah. They have – Mexico is like the sort of evolutionary center for pines and oaks. There's hundreds really? of species. Yeah. It's pretty what, cool. Why is that, you think? Is it because of their uh, – Geological history, influences from the north and the south. Uh-huh. Um, and then – 
lots of different habitat. I mean, Mexico's got, it's actually the third most diverse country after Brazil and Indonesia. A lot of people don't realize that. Wow. I it's mean, got everything. People forget how big it is. It's really it's fucking big. fucking huge. Because yeah. you have like jungles, you have desert, you have... Mountains, everything. And you've got like uh, salt water, you've got fresh water. Yep. You got brackish water. You have brackish water. <laughs> you got lakes. The interface between yeah yeah, and it, it's very cool. Yeah, and and uh, still largely unexplored. So as far as when you describe, uh, you said you work at the Natural History Museum, right? I'm a research associate. Yeah. So what kind of stuff do you end up? What what is like a day there? Oh, I don't. I go there rarely. Right. I I'm, seriously, you can do you do this with a microscope and a pen and pencil at your home, you right? Know, or pen and paper. Are they home. like taking advantage of you in that sense because it's like something where. You would um, you would do it anyway. So no, it's just like again, it's it's this is something that you do as a hobby. It's right. yeah, it's not a. I mean, if you want to be a professional, you got to get your you know you got to get the credential, and then you've got to go you know try to get a job as a curator. I didn't want to do that. Right. So I like to be able to work on it when I want to, and I can mm-hmm. work on what I want to. So what was the last one that you described? Uh, the one I'm currently describing two two species from the Channel Islands. So, so how does that work? Like, what's the process of that? Because you talked about like. You know, I guess what I'm saying is, how do you, how do you, um, just how do you uh, make it unique? How do you weed out? Well, you, yeah, I mean, you, you, the the process is basically set out by uh, there's a thing called the uh, International Commission on Zoological Nomenclature. That, where are they located? Uh, I think London is where okay. the headquarters. That sounds like is. a good place. It's a very good place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think originally probably out of the British Museum and Natural mm-hmm. History, but they, it, it, it's a code that's that's developed over the years and. You, there's not that many requirements. I mean, you right. have to you have to give it a name, which is a binomial, so it's got mm-hmm. a generic name and a specific name. The name has to be available. It can't have been used before. Um, and the uh, you you have a description and you have a diagnosis, and the diagnosis basically says this is why this is different from related species. Right. Okay. And then you have to assign a type, so you have to say this is the the name bearer. So if anybody ever has a question as to whether their species is species A or species B, they can go to the museum and find this specimen and look at it. Okay. So uh, and then you, you have to have a type assigned. And you can have paratypes. There's, there's other specimens that you use, but you have to have a type. And then uh, it has to be published uh, or sent to, I think, in paper form, like the seven national museums. That, which is, which is, which, what museum? Well, I think it's like St. Petersburg and, you know, it was sort of this, uh, a museum of comparative zoology and, in uh, in Harvard, and other than that, and then it has to be disseminated, which can be done electronically, be published, and that's really the only requirement. Now, the way practically it works, if you want to do work that's respected, is mm-hmm. that you would send it to a journal, and they would put it, they would send it out to a referee, usually three. What's a referee? Referee would be a, uh, somebody that works in your group or related who right. will read your paper and determine whether it's. Follows all the rules, whether it's, it presents something new, right. whether it's worth worth, uh, and all of us we're also we act as referees. Okay. So I get papers multiple times a year where I have to decide if they're worth publishing or correct them or whatever. So have you ever, uh, when you've corrected something, what's it been based upon? Uh, I mean, it can be something as simple as that. You know, you you say that the organization needs to be better, or they missed a, a reference, or. Uh, they misspelled something, uh-huh. or it could be that I, what you're saying here is not justified by the, the data. You know, right. you're, you're typically, like you're describing this based on one specimen that's a female, and we can't tell the difference between the females. So 
Okay. You know, it's not valid. So yeah, papers get rejected. You know, people get butt hurt. It's, but you know, <laughs> have our, you ever had it happen to you? I have. Uh, yeah. What was that like? What was the uh, the reasoning for it? Uh, they don't usually. They, they don't, just well, they'll they don't say have to tell you. Yeah, I mean, they'll usually just say that you know we felt that it was not either the contribution wasn't valid or that. Uh, you know, you needed most of the time. It, my papers don't get rejected, but they will come back with suggestions or corrections. Okay. So, and that's an option. You can say, "I this paper should be published with these these corrections," or you can say, "I this paper can't be published unless it's completely revised," or you can say, "Reject completely." So, so, so how many um, beetles have you done at this point? Uh, I think I've described like ninety taxa. Jesus so. Christ! Yeah, but I do it a long time, dude. Yeah, you know? but still, it's just that's that's just uh, I don't know. There's something about that that will never be. Boring to me. The I, idea that you have like, I uh, you found a thing and you're like the first person to describe. I remember the first time I learned about that. It was some guy who was diving in a cave and he discovered like a plankton. It was someplace, I don't know, it was maybe off the coast of Mexico. Uh-huh. And he's found some sort of plankton that exists in the cave. And they're talked about it. It was, it was, some, it was Discovery Channel before it was, you know, uh-huh. when it was actually Discovery Channel, like <laughs> a long time ago. It was just Channel 13. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah. It was before it was uh, uh, reality shows. And I just couldn't believe that. It seems like it seems like that was impossible. And as you, you know, you go to, you learn like the plankton, there's there's tons and tons oh, of yeah, that stuff. Yeah. But to be there's like. There's tons and tons of everything. That's what people, the, 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 I guess the biggest mis- misapprehension people have is, oh, you discovered it, you found something new. It's like, no, no, you, you don't understand. There's like drawers and new stuff. Like how many lifetimes do you have to go sit down, really work through them? figure out what they are. I mean, honestly, there's a lot of stuff where I look at it and I go, I fucking, I don't know what that is. Uh-huh. Like, I'm not going to put a name on it because I don't know if it's different enough or I, I can't find it. And a lot of times, 20 years, you'll look at something and wow. finally figure it out, you know? It's like a puzzle of sorts. It's a puzzle, yeah. That's crazy. Are there, are there uh, Claridae that have been described in, in your lifetime when you've been doing it that have been like a big breakthrough? For like, what, what makes something like a big deal in that community in terms of that? Or is, is uh, that not, not the case? Yeah, I don't think they're... I mean, sometimes the, the things are super rare that okay. could turn up. I mean, I... Like, this, this is the kind of shit that just gets so strange. It's like somebody will run like a, a what's called a malaise trap. It's named after a guy named Malaise, believe it or not, which is <laughs> he weird. He was really tired. Yeah. yeah. And they'll set it up. It's basically a flight intercept trap. So it's passive. So things will fly around in a forest and they'll hit a, a net and then they'll end up in a... In a Jar of alcohol. And okay. So they'll go check it every couple of weeks. And so they'll, you get guys that are, they send them out like to all these specialists all over the world. And they'll come up with like, oh, look, one specimen out of 50,000 specimens is this thing. Okay. In right. the middle of the Brazilian forest. And we've never seen it before. And then like 10 years later, some guy in Costa Rica comes up with the same thing. Uh-huh. And you go, how the fuck is that possible? There's two things. We've only got two out of 100,000. They're obviously existing in nature and they're mating. They're finding each other. But yeah. w- somehow they lead a lifestyle that we aren't accessing. Like the way we're collecting things doesn't intersect with with them. Right. And there's there's lots of examples. There's a really big claret that was collected on Angel de la Guardia Island in the, in the Gulf Sea of Cortez. And then one in San Bernardino County, like 30 years later, nobody knows anything about them. Nobody's ever found one since. It's really strange. So, so it's not so much like what they do or what they look like. It's just the un- the rarity of the specific thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like the when they find like <clears throat> it's like that um like the albino alligator they found. Sure. With that thing. So isn't because is that not uh just something that's like a what do you call it like a 
um, just a randomized genetic. Yeah, kind those of kinds flip. of those kinds of things can happen. There's little monsters, you know. You get things with three eyes or yeah. whatever it is. But you know, I think what's really interesting to to entomologists is just like stumbling across something that's super cool looking and going, well, nobody's ever seen this before. You know, that's that's pretty neat. Yeah. So, do you know anything about the sounds that beetles make? Uh, yeah, I actually wrote a paper on it. You did. Yeah. Is there uh, anything that we could listen to that would be that would be like tangential uh, to that? You think that's yeah, available publicly? Yeah, I could just, just uh, Google uh, stridulation okay. in insects. How do you spell that? S T R I D. Strid. And then G U L A. Stridulation in yeah. insects. I'm yeah. putting it to YouTube. Yeah, there should be a whole bunch. And is there like is there a particular one I should look up? Uh, play? You know, scarabs do it. Longhorn beetles do it. Uh, it hadn't been reported in clarids, but I actually went into a studio like this and miked a. Mike day a, really? a clarid, yeah. A clarid, and what what type of sound? This is this is a, a giant rhino beetle, Megasoma ls. It's that scrapey sound. Wow. <laughs> hey, wait a second. Is is that is that X hamster? <laughs> I hear a lot of fan noise in there. Yeah, yeah. I'm not hearing a lot of... I think that's... that's How do you mic a beetle? Really? It oh, how like do you mic... Yeah, it was a real... Very difficult. He used a real sensitive uh, uh, mic. Where was this? Uh, studio in Burbank, actually. Really? Yeah, I forgot which... It was a long time ago. So you have that recording because you... Somewhere, yeah. So what was that What was that paper? So you uh, wrote a paper was, about that. It was called Stridulation in Cymatodera. And that what was there like a was there a specific was there a reason that you were recording? Yeah, because because I'd heard them, I'd picked them up and heard them really? stridulate, and nobody had ever re- reported that they did. But they make the sound. Yeah, yeah. Bigger, but a little bit bigger. This is <laughs> yeah, some bigger. idiot. Well, you could put the you could put them. I have uh, quads and stuff. Right, you can drive them in the back instead of driving them up. On- yeah, I think we're not going to find anything here. Yeah. It's going to be like real clean, nice audio. Yeah. So you're saying that you never heard, um, you thought no one had ever heard no, it, Yeah, or sounds. nobody had ever reported, you know, it right. hadn't been published in the literature, so. Um. I saw something a long time ago, probably again on Discovery Channel, about a guy, he was an entomologist, he was in the jungles of someplace on the equator, mm-hmm. and he found uh, some kind of a beetle that had these uh, two rods and it's, and it's underneath its neck area. Okay. That... Um, you know, they know that Brazilian instrument, the Cuico? Mm-mm. It's one that goes like, ooh, 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 ooh. I'll, I'll play it for you right now. This is a cool, this is like this weird instrument. It's not a very good instrument, but um, let's see. Cuica, it's Cuica. It's, it's like this, it's basically a stick inside of a drum, kind of. I think this is it right here. That's the Cuica. That's super cool. But it's basically, he was trying to say that that was sort of how <clears throat> the beetle made the sounds, but he said this beetle was involved in this relationship that was like, um, so if, if a symbiosis is two-way, it was like a three-way sort of okay. relationship, and uh, it would make a sound that would attract a certain type of ant, or maybe it would, uh, no, the sound that it would make would make the ants not eat it. Hmm, but the okay. ants are feeding on this plant, they're feeding off the honeydew that's coming off of the mm-hmm. uh, plant, and for some how I guess the the ants not eating him but being around him provide protection. Uh-huh. 
it's and also but he is able to it's some like you know th- like a weird three-way type of thing it was all based on that sound that the beetle was making that mimics an ant sound huh i i mean i just always think about well there's lots we... of examples of of beetles that are uh, live in again inquilines they live in in uh, uh, ant nests and okay. they they basically uh cover well they'll emit a chemical that fools the ant into thinking that they're an ant and and they'll oh, many times they'll sh- they're shaped like ants too really yeah lots of ant, lots of lots of beetles what are they ant. doing in there uh they a lot of the, a lot of sometimes they're detrimental they're just feeding on like the cast off, you know, okay. stuff. Sometimes like they're ant legs. Sometimes they're they're predaceous. There's a clara that feeds on on ants and Man. piper plants. So What's a piper plant? Um it's like I think they're called peppers but they're not really peppers. Right. It's a tropical plant that has like hollow stems um, wow. and puts out um I think piper puts out some they they have a, a uh, they've co-evolved with ants that they put out fruiting bodies like you've been talking about the honeydew yeah. and the ants feed on that and then they protect the plant from herbivores. That so. stuff is so interesting. I I always wonder like how many of those relationships are out there that we just have no Lots. we just don't know about Lots. and we maybe we'll never know because it's yeah. so it's such a tiny world. In terms of beetles, like because you always think of like um, like spiders or people hate spiders and are scared of them because spiders are dangerous. Ants are kind of like um, innocuous, but they're that they can overwhelm you with their numbers. And you think about like like bees or flying insects. Like like bees are bad because they'll sting you, and flies are bad because they carry disease. But I feel like beetles have this weird place where they're sort of like they're almost like friendly. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of like cartoon characters yeah. in a way. Yeah, I think for the most part that's true. People don't associate them with anything like dangerous. Is a yeah. roach a beetle? It's not. What yeah. makes it not a beetle? Uh, well, I guess what makes a beetle a beetle? Well, what makes a beetle a beetle is, generally speaking, that it has uh, elytra. So it's an, the, 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 the insects generally have two sets of wings. Right. Okay. So the outer set of wings have become hardened, and, that's, uh, and then they usually meet down the, the middle. So okay. uh, now, of course, there's a million exceptions to this. But, right. But um, so you have st- structures of the mouth parts and the feet and everything else. But generally speaking, if you were trying to identify a beetle, it's going to have flying wings underneath the hard shell. Right. And it's the hard shell that's made beetles be the biggest, uh, um, you know, order um, in the animal kingdom that we know of. They are, they're the biggest in the in- yeah. Is it insecta. Yeah. They're the largest, physically largest. Yeah, coleoptera is the. Wow. There's more beetles than anything I think in 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 insects. So, uh, and then uh, you'll like the difference between a beetle and a bug is when the the elytra meet in a, at a straight line on beetles. Okay. So if you look at it, you look at it and there's a and there's a vertical line down the back. That's a that's a beetle. That's cool. Yeah, it's like a quadrant because it's like a like a circle. If it's got a, a line through the middle, but then it has a line through the it's bisecting the half. Yeah. It's kind of a, I guess I never thought about that. They have such a signature look. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, with nature, anything you say, there's a million exceptions. Right. But that's like but the general, general way to tell. Are there any dangerous beetles? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, I mean, for the most part, not from being bitten, but there's a, right. uh, there's a few that are very strongly chemically protected. And if, oh. they, if you, they squirt you in the eye, you will go blind. No way. What are those uh, ones? There's one called, there's a staphylinid and. Damn. Uh, but they and they they advertise that they're poisonous. I mean, they're you know kind of usually have bright colors: red, red and blue, red and black. Sort of like the uh, what's the bug that it uses for 
uh, people use for salsa? Is uh, that bug called? I'm trying to think. It's like an assassin. Not an assassin bug, is it? No. What, what do you mean in salsa, though? There's some kind of Mexican bug that it's got like a sort of a diamond shaped flat back. Hmm. It almost looks like a weevil. I'm trying to think. And it's, uh, it you'll is. see them in your house sometimes. Um, well, they use, yeah, I mean, there's coccineal, which are like not, those are weird. The scale insects, they are on cactus. Those are the ones that have it's the red bug. dye. Yeah, I don't know. Do they use stink bugs in salsa, though? I think I mean, people do. Okay. I mean, I've... I, I mean, don't know. I've eaten ants in Oaxaca and grasshoppers. Right. And, what kind of ants? Uh, thing called atta. It's a um, big... It's a big ant. Yeah, it's the... the uh, um, you see the ones that are um, harvest leaves and grow mushrooms on them. Hmm. It's the... It's the big they grow mushrooms on the ants. Yeah, otter ants are pretty interesting. When you've seen those documentaries where the ants are moving in a line and they're all carrying a leaf, yeah. well, they're not eating the leaves. They're carrying the leaves back to their underground nest where they mulch them and they grow a fungus on them, which Holy they then eat shit. the mushrooms. They're, they're farmers. Actually, they're farmers, yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Ants are, uh, I mean, do you think you might ever get into ants as well? No. Why? why I got like one lifetime. <laughs> like this is like you, you spend your life working on one tiny little yeah. thing. Yeah, it's just like you know you can't you can't do it. Yeah, ants are overwhelming. I feel like they're just there's so many goddamn ants. There are a lot of ants. I got nailed really bad the last time in Oaxaca. Ooh, was, what happened? I was standing on a um, I kind of off of a dirt road and uh, in, like in a kind of viney area, and yeah. I was. Collecting, and I thought I had a clarity, but uh, and I was trying to get them into a jar, and I was really having a hard time. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I looked down, and I am covered with ants. Fire like, ants? no, they weren't fire. They were black ants, and okay. they were up to my knees. <gasps> they were in my socks and in my shoes, and I went, I have a problem. And it was like <laughs> they were headed towards, you know, they were headed towards nether the regions. nether regions, man. So I did the only thing that I could do is I got onto the road and I ripped my boots off, I ripped my socks off, and I ripped my pants off, and I just crushed as many of them to death as I could, flung them away. And of course, hadn't seen anybody all day standing there in my shorts, covered with ant bites, truck full of Mexicans comes down. That's funny. Like laughing the shit at me. And my buddy, who's a Oaxacan guy, I'm like, I just shouted out, Ormigas, like I was explaining to him uh-huh. what had happened. Like I wasn't some perv that was standing yeah. on the side of the road. And later on, my, like my buddy, because he, he didn't see it, he goes, like, I had no idea what was going on. All I could hear was Ormigas <laughs> like, down the road. And I, these things were blistered, and I mean, uh, they so nailed the, so the, me bad. Oh, yeah. So they were, um, they were like fire ants, but not fire ants. Yeah, huh? there were some. I don't know what they were. But Damn. Yeah, it was a bad Because those, fi- I mean, I've almost slept in fire ant mounds because I went to college in Florida. Oh, yeah. I remember for years after I lived there, after I moved away, I would never, at nighttime, in the dark, I would never stop walking in like a grassy field because I'd be like, you might might be stopped. You might where you're stopped walking. You might be on a huge fire yeah. mound. Oh, Next man. thing you know, I've heard, have you been bit by them? I've been bit, but not that bad. I've seen like a lot of drunk people. I've seen some drunk people get fucking eaten up. They're like, terrible, man. Terrible. The, the coolest thing about those to me is that the, I think uh, I think this is right. They do a thing where they, um, they swarm the the thing they're gonna bite, and then they. Someone calls, one ant calls like a fucking, all right, and now. And they all bite the same fucking time. Yeah. There's yeah. like some chemical signature that goes out. Yeah, they're like, they communicate through pheromones and oh, stuff. Yeah. That kind weird. of stuff is, is so interesting because you, you, 
you see like the stuff that these insects do, you just it doesn't make sense how yeah, I think wasps have so like a, these kind of like alarm chemicals that they right. when something happens and then they just they all sting at the same time. Yeah, oh, because they they smell it and it's like okay, so whatever this chemical is, we have to attack it. Yeah, keep attacking it. Yeah, that's a wasp thing. Yeah, wasps are. I hate wasps. Really. Yeah, <laughs> I hate those suckers. What makes a wasp a wasp and not a hornet? Well, hornets are a wasp. Oh, hornets yeah, are a wasp. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And bees are not hornets. No, bees are wasps. different. Yeah. I mean, but wasps are worse than bees. Well, it depends if you're allergic to bees. <laughs> yeah. If you're allergic to bees, you're not allergic to wasps as well? Uh, no, very specific. It depends on like, yeah, people have different reactions to different venoms. Damn. I mean, the venoms are all like, there's a guy named Schmidt. Uh, he's got like this pain index and He's, I think right. he's, he's let himself be stung by some really nasty things. Yeah, yeah. I've watched the. There's that guy Coyote Peterson. I've seen him do some uh, on YouTube, get bitten by some stuff. And oh, dude! It's so hard to tell what's theatrics and what's real. But I mean, I had a friend who uh, got bit by um, those African bullet ants. So, so South South American bullet the bullet ants. There's bullet ants everywhere. Yeah, you make a glove of them. Yeah, that do that in in uh, I think in Brazil it's like a yeah. rite of pass. Instead of a bar mitzvah, we're gonna put your hand in a glove oh, that's ants. got like these giant parapanera. Yeah. Yeah, he made it through it. But there, I also oh, watched a show of a guy, dude. some British guy. He and his buddy they they flip for it and he lost and he um, it was it was like seeing someone almost die. He yeah, was yeah. he was. For I think it was the pain was so bad, he didn't sleep for two days. He was, I mean, I've never seen um, a video of someone like a normal person, like literally in so much like you can yeah, just I see mean, the like, agony. Yeah, you want to commit suicide? That kind of pain. Yeah, it's crazy. There's, well, there's the insects. thing is, like, what you got to figure is that it's millions of years of evolution for right. a venom that's specifically going to make a mammal freak out. I mean, that's right. what's evolved there. You know, it's like. Uh, that's why it does that, you know. It's not random. So, what do you think? What makes Beatles so successful then? Because they're obviously not going anywhere. It's like a yeah. Again, I think structurally, it's the fact that that outer, uh, the elytra, uh, hard cover, means they can conserve moisture. Right. Um, and I think that was like a really successful uh, evolutionary novelty. And they just managed to like because of that, they've invaded every kind of niche that there is. You know. Do you think that they're um like, is there like an intelligent scale for insects? You think? Eh, I'm sure there's guys that have worked on that. You know, right. I I don't um, I don't know too much about that stuff. Um, you know, I mean, I think for the, you know, for the, they they obviously are, there's some capability of learning. Uh, wasps, I yeah, are amazing. Like they they have all these really interesting ways that they can they memorize where their where their like hole is and they actually wow. fly above and do like these circling things and they're triangulating. Holy I mean shit, that's yeah, cool. I mean they have to be able to like, you know, they'll fly half a mile and then come back and find a hole that's the size of a dime, you yeah. know, hidden in some rocks. So uh, but I don't know much about like beetle intelligence per se. I, mean, I know there's probably some work done on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always in my opinion, I'm always thinking that that spiders are the smartest. I don't know why, but to me it just seems like it seems like um, the, if I think about if you took insects, any all insects that exist, and you made them, let's just say you made them, um, I don't know, three times the size that they are, I would be the most scared of really big spiders. Yeah, I'd be scared of them too. Because I feel like they have the most, they're the most mobile, have like the most weapons, and yeah, they're fast. They're very too. fast. Yeah. yeah. I always love thinking about a spider the size of a basketball, like rolling by you at twenty miles an hour. 
we would be done. We'd just be toast. Yeah, even just like a big wolf spider or tarantula. You yeah. Know? I mean, people pick up tarantulas. I don't. <laughs> You're not a fan of spiders. I, no, I think they're super cool. I just don't want to like pick up. I mean, yeah. you pick up, you look at a tarantula, it's got these chelicerae that look, you know, they could do some damage. Like, chelicerae is okay. uh, fangs, right? Yeah, the fangs. Yeah. You know, like, uh, like, no, I don't. No thanks. Yeah, exactly. Like, just in case that one has a, had a bad night, you know? Right. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Have you ever purposely gotten bit by any insects? No. I'm not a masochist. What do you, I kind of want to get bit by a, a black widow, but I don't know. Hmm. Uh, it's like a thing where I want to do it, but everyone I say that to is like, don't do that. Yeah, but why do you want to? Because I, I know it probably wouldn't kill me. I think it's pretty, um, I think they only kill like very small children or people who are very sick. Yeah. And even then, I think it's pretty rare that that yeah. happens. But I mean, you're going to be. You're gonna feel really bad. Yeah, I'd feel really bad. I guess it's just the idea of like the uh, the experience of it. I think would be interesting. Also, just I don't know something about about having that experience with an animal that is like uh, not like an attack. It's like a venom thing. Where I don't know. I, I think I think it's like it's like <laughs> tripping on acid or something. Where I like, guess. I've, had, I've had acid trips that were terrifying, and I felt like I was basically I basically poisoned myself. Right. When you're taking like when you take psilocybin you're you are willfully poisoning yourself True. right so it's like i guess it's that sort of thing where it's uh there's like a psychedelic dimension to the idea of being bitten by a uh, black widow not a brown recluse black widow. Well, definitely would not want to bit by a brown recluse yeah i mean i again i when you read the you know you read like people's you know recounting that type of things yeah it doesn't attract me to uh it's like people like being bit by a snake not Poisonous snakes, not a good thing. Yeah, poisonous snake. That's different though, because that's that'll kill you for real. Yeah, but not always. I mean, really? most most rattlesnake bites don't kill people. But really, yeah. Something about the snake bite. I feel like you really are rolling the dice with that. Yeah. Well, you are probably with a widow too. You never know how you're going to react. to Exactly. It. That's the thing. That's why it's such a. That's why I probably won't do it. <laughs> I probably definitely will not do how, it. But I, how drunk do you need oh to be? Oh God, like, that'd be even worse. Yeah. Then you can, anytime you're drunk and you go in the ER, it's just like <laughs> they treat you with just that much less respect because right. you're because you did it to yourself. That is what a lot of ER doctors will say, though. Is they say that uh, that um, most people who are in the ER, like eighty percent of people who are there. Are people who are just like I can't believe you thought you could do this. Yeah. Or you are so dumb. Thank God we have YouTube now oh, to, like, yeah. to document all of that. It's incredible. We should uh, play some music here. Cool. To to close things off, is there something you want to play? Because I know you're a, you're a big time musician and super a music a music person. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm very little time musician. Well, uh, I don't know. I, don't I, know. I guess I mean big time in terms of like uh, level of interest. Right? Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, I don't know. What kind of stuff do you like to play? Well, I like to play. I was playing some Booker T and the MGs earlier. That's cool. Which is like uh, for me is like. How about a Ween song? Okay, we can do some Ween. What Ween should we play? I don't know how how dirty do we want to get? <sighs> we can go. We can play anything. I've we could play Spinal Meningitis. I've always wanted to play it's a that. Great in the song. Podcast. Let's play Spinal Meningitis. Spinal Meningitis is on chocolate and cheese, right? Or some pure guava? No, it's on chocolate and cheese. Uh, this question. is it. Yeah, it's yeah. on chocolate and cheese. This is a a classic song off a classic album. You seen them live before? I have. I've seen them a couple times. They're great, Amazing. pretty great. How'd you get into Ween? Uh. Somebody said, this is a cool band. Or maybe right. I saw the video, like Pushing Daisies, a long right. time ago. 
Is there a psychedelic beetle, you think? Uh, certainly color-wise, yeah. There's lots of stuff that's right. psychedelic. I think one's got some chemicals underneath the, uh, the Oh, flaps. yeah. I'm sure the whole chemical world is crazy. You want to hear a good chemical story? I do. Yeah. Let's hear that, and then we'll then we'll close it up with some weed. Uh, the uh, There's a millipede that um, emits a chemical that's basically quaalude. No way. Yeah. So here's the weird thing. Quaalude is one of those weird drugs that was not found in the animal or plant kingdom. It was synthesized. Quaalude. It was synthesized. Right. right. And so we thought, we would have thought, well, we, we discovered this, but yeah. nature had discovered it. Long ago. Yeah. But the thing is, like, what? Why does a millipede, like, what? Is it trying to get chicks? <laughs> yeah. Or what does it do? Like, what? Yeah. Is it is it for mammals or is it for something else? I don't know. We don't know. What I mean, millipede is it? I'd have to look it up. This is something where I will be looking this up, and I think, you know, this poor millipede's probably gonna get exploited at some point if this if this makes it out there big. Very popular among the Euro trash. Yeah, it's fucking dosing millipedes. <laughs> And there's got to be a thousand things like that, right? There's oh, yeah. all these bugs that we just don't have any idea that they have all these. That's why it's important to protect biodiversity. Yeah. All, we, don't wanna, we don't want these things to go away before we've figured them out. There's a reason it's bad luck to kill spiders. I just, that's, that's the message of today is do not kill spiders. Definitely don't kill beetles. If you're killing beetles, I think that means you have like a, like a, a personality disorder. I would agree. Yeah. Is there anything you want to promote or talk about? Uh, no, no, dude, this was really fun. I appreciate this is it. Great. You know, you're, you're, you're a really good interviewer. Well, I like talking about this. It's super interesting to me. Yeah. Thanks well, for coming, Jacques. Oh, no, my pleasure. Take Jacques Rifkin. Bye.